everyone. Welcome back to the Press On podcast. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off in part two now of having an eternal perspective. And I really invite you to go back and listen to last week's podcast, part one. Uh, I gave a brief history or background of the book of Psalms and the man that we're focusing on, uh, Asaph, who wrote Psalms chapter 50 and Psalms chapter 73 through 83. And uh, you should go back and listen to that and get a little bit of a background. And then we ran on into Psalms 73, the first nine verses. And basically, I would say the first nine verses cover what I called some contentions between the righteous and the wicked. And and, uh, Asaph struggled with that. Uh, in his own heart and mind, and of course it comes out in what he has written. And today I want to pick up again uh, where we left off. Again, we talked uh, kind of the first point, if you will, was the contention, where uh, Asaph is writing and saying, God is good to those that are pure in heart. He, he is actually extrapolating that out, saying, I, I am pure in heart. I'm not, not perfect, but I have a heart that's inclined toward God. I, I long for God. And of course, his position as a music leader uh, and a, a poet and a prophet uh, in his times comes out in his writings. But he has the position because he's the person that is hungry and following God. And he begins to describe, uh, as we covered last week, verses 4 through 9, kind of his poetic description of how he views uh, the wicked in their prosperity. And frankly, it causes him tremendous uh, suffering and confusion. And he writes, you know, that my feet almost stumbled. My walk with God almost slipped away as I watched the, 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 the prosperity, the pride and the arrogance and the boastfulness of the wicked, the blatant ungodliness, and, and the fact that I, I'm the pure in heart, and yet I'm struggling when I watch this. And I listen to their voices. It says that they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, uh, and their tongue walks through the earth, meaning they they go around and they boast of what we would call wickedness. They boast of their goods and their prosperity without acknowledging that that every good gift comes from God. And 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 Asaph is looking at this, and he's really uh, struggling with it, and uh, he moves on, and that's where we want to pick up, moving from this um, place of having a contention with the wicked to, to really he begins to write to contrast the wicked, and this starts in verse 13. So join with me there. Asaph writes, "'Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain.'" And I've washed my hands in innocence, for all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children, speaking to God. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. He writes this contrast. The first uh, verses uh, 4 through 9, again, he poetically describes the prosperity 
and the, the character and the conduct of the wicked. And he is struggling over that. And I last week, I applied it to our culture now. And you, you can hear that from last week. But may I say to you this, this, this worldly culture that I described last week, unfortunately, this also has come into the church. And he, he, he doesn't particularly speak of it right here. But if you were to go and read in Psalms, he says, uh, the enemy has damaged everything in the sanctuary. Your enemies roar in the midst of your meeting place. He's speaking to God. They have set fire to your sanctuary. They've defiled the dwelling place of your name to the ground. They say in their hearts, let us destroy them altogether. They have burned up all the meeting places of God in the land. My friends, it's not just the worldly wicked culture, but unfortunately, and it's heartbreaking to say this, but that worldly culture has come over into the church. And this is exactly what Asaph says in Psalm 74. And as we read that, uh, it really is heartbreaking to realize that much of the spirit of this age, the, the compromised conduct has come into the church. And they, we have, as it were, Paul writing to the Galatians, a different gospel created a different Jesus. And people are uh, standing in the church saying boldly that God isn't who he says he is, and they parse words, and they try to uh, present an alternative Christ who accepts homosexuality, who, who accepts wickedness in various stages, who is the author of all wickedness, sorrow, and evil because he's discriminatory. They stand and say the Word of God is not authoritative. It is not divine. It is not inspired. It is fallible. It is filled with errors, contradictions, and they go on and on and on. Now, this is the stage, the atmosphere that Asaph is writing. He is really struggling in this, and I think many of us struggle as well, especially when we find things like this coming into the church. Now, let me remind you of something that David wrote. In Psalms 41 and also in Psalms 55, David writes about his own personal struggles when the righteous do wickedly. Now, this is really the the aspect of what we're talking about as we read Psalms 73 is having an an eternal perspective because David is saying, if it it is not an enemy who reproached me or I could have bore up under it. It is not one who hates me, Psalms 55, who has exalted himself against me because if it were my enemy, I could hide from him. But it was you, a man of my equal, my companion, my acquaintance, my brother, my sister. We took sweet counsel together, and we walked together in the house of God uh, before the throne. And he had written in Psalms 41, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Oh, my friends, wickedness by nature weighs heavily upon the heart of the righteous, whether it's in the world, but especially when wickedness comes in the church. 
when people who claim to be born again, and in fact, sometimes even born again believers, can operate in a different spirit and operate with, as we've read in Psalm 73, describing the wicked with pride and arrogance, with their position, their power, I mean in the church, and they can do tremendous harm to the righteous. Asaph is feeling this, and he says, man, surely I I have cleansed my heart in vain. I have washed my hands in innocence. He is saying, look at the prosperity of the wicked. Look how they run about unashamed. Jeremiah said, there's no fear of God before them to hold them back from sinning. I'm walking in the fear of God. They aren't, and yet they are more blessed than I am. And he's struggling to, to try to rationalize this, and and it, it gives the appearance to Asaph that God might be unfair in regards to the righteous, and even worse, he, he, he could be the cause of suffering. He writes, For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. Chastened. Chastening is something that a father does to a child, a parent to a child. And he's saying, is this what's happening? I, I am cleansing my heart of sin and wickedness. I am pursuing God with all I have. I seek to walk innocent before God and man. I, I, I read the Bible and I try to walk and live according to God's holy standard. I pray for righteousness to be in my life. And yet every step toward righteousness I make, I look around and the wicked are bold and brash and living in a a way of defiance toward God, and they live in prosperity. They live with abundance and ease, and they have no fear of God, and they don't care to have any fear of God. My friends, I don't know where you're at, but I tell you, this is a real challenge to the body of Christ. And I think many of you are saying with me right now, yeah, Brother Keith, I, I, I admit it. I admit it. I look, and I, sometimes I'm like this guy Asaph. I'm, I'm envious of the wicked. I, I wish I could have what they have. I wish I could possess what they possess. I wish I had enough finances where uh, inflation and uh, bills wouldn't bother me. I, I just have enough to pay them all. And I wish I had some hobbies. I wish I, you know, when we go through this envy stage, uh, he's gone through this and now he's contrasting it with his own life. And yet he still has something in him because even though there might be a little bit of him questioning the goodness of God, and it seems even that he's questioning the moral order of the universe, like this is just not right. How can it stand? He has within him something. Uh, well, it, it's not a something. It's He has that righteous foundation in him. And he says, look, if I go around and I speak in this way or that way, uh, in, in talk about how the wicked live better than the righteous, if I were to even say out loud what I'm thinking inside, oh my goodness, if people could actually hear me, he says, I, I'd be untrue to the generation of God, to my generation. I can't speak those things because ultimately he knew it wasn't right, but he was struggling with how to process it. And he doesn't want to regurgitate that out to others and destroy their faith or cause their faith to be uh, uh, brought to shambles. But he says, when I thought how to understand this contrast, it was so painful. 
it was brought such sorrow to me because he could look and say, God should be judging this. God, see, I mean, look at what they're doing. It's blatant, unrighteous, it's lawlessness in the land. Why isn't God judging it? Why doesn't God come in today with the bolt of lightning? Why doesn't he bring today a crack in the earth and swallow people up? Why is God not judging them? And in the midst of God's seemingly delayed judgment, Asaph is saying that the wicked simply increase in their wickedness. And an increase in wickedness was an increase in his pain. And he, he just uh, was so frustrated. And in the midst of that frustration, there begins to be the breeding of the question, the questioning of the value of holiness. Have you been there? Are you there now? Where you could say, I've washed my hands in innocence and I've cleansed my heart in vain. I'm pursuing God for nothing. And the closer I try to get to God, it seems the harder life gets. Uh, it seems that every step forward with God is two steps back in the world. This is what Asaph was saying. And uh, and again, he not only is writing poetically, but he's writing quite forcefully of not only the description of the wicked, but his own. What honesty he's showing there. My feet almost slipped. I'm realizing my, my holiness, my righteousness before God seems to be useless, in vain. It's all for nothing. Why would I do this? Why should I continue? And then he gives the, 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 the foundational phrase, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood the end of the wicked. And this is where we, we're bringing in the, our title, having an eternal perspective, because it was something that Asaph knew. Now, remember, he was a worship leader. He was one of David's three main worship leaders, and he was a prophet. And so he had that ability to, to cut through things like a prophet and cut through the smoke and the shades of gray and see what is and what is not, what is God and what is not God, what is the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And so he goes to the only place where he knows he's going to get revelation and any kind of relief. He goes into the sanctuary. Now, that literally, I think he literally went into the sanctuary. Remember, uh, we read, uh, mentioned uh, last week where uh, he's first mentioned, Asaph in the Bible is first mentioned, going into the holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, into the very presence of God. And he went in with praise and worship. He knew the God's presence was where he had to go. He knew in order to find a resolve and a relief for life's challenges in this way, he had to go to God. And it was the only place. And when he went into the presence of God, now that doesn't mean that you have to go into a church building today. You can, but it can be in your car. It could be on a walk. It could be in your home could be anywhere you decide because God's presence is there for his people. You can go into God's presence and you can have this kind of honesty and, and, and release, cast cares upon the Lord as you look at the contrast and, and the complications between your life and the wicked and just say, like he said, I, I feel like I'm almost going under, but I'm coming to the only place where I can get a fresh revelation of God a fresh revelation and perspective 
that will bring a relief to my life. Asaph did that. And then we want to look at what happened after he went. Starting in verse 21, that he finds a place to bring this thing to a conclusion. And he writes, My heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. He's speaking to God. I am continually with you, God. You will hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he's my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You've destroyed all who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in, uh, in the Lord that I may declare all your works. <laughs> what a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, portion of Scripture here is he concludes uh, and comes to find the reality of that a fresh revelation and perspective, and he gets relief, and this relief is for you and I in the days of our challenge to do. He acknowledged that he was suffering in this perspective of looking at the wicked, and it was painful. It was too much for him, but he also had to admit some personal failures. He says, "I've look, I've been foolish, and I've been ignorant. Lord, I've stumbled, and I've looked at things from my purely natural sense. He said, I've, I was like a beast. A beast lives for today, only lives in what is for today, has no reality of eternity. He said, I was like that. When I looked, I was just looking with all my natural senses, and, and I was foolish and I was ignorant. He admitted his personal failures, but then he moves past and he makes a strong resolve of his commitment to God. Uh, I, I am continually with you. I, I, I don't know everything. I don't understand this, Lord. Uh, f- truly, uh, your ways are not my ways, and your thoughts are not my thoughts. Truly, you are the Most High, uh, the Sovereign God. You rule and reign over all. I do not. I don't understand. I know that all the paths of the Lord are righteousness and truth. I know from the Scriptures that God loves justice. He says, I, I come back and I lay fresh hold of this revelation, even though I don't fully understand it, but I'm resolved to walk with you and humble myself before you. And he also stated that he recognized God's commitment and his presence to him. Who am I in heaven but you? You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and you're going to receive me to glory. That eternal perspective began to set into him, saying, Today I don't know, but someday I will. Today I know what I feel in the natural, but spiritually you are with me, and you're going to guide me. You're going to carry me all the way through to victory to the end, where I'll be in your presence forever. And then he gives a statement uh, and a reality of faith in his ultimate trust. It's good for me to draw near to God. I might not understand what's happening. I don't like it. And I might actually suffer in the midst of this, but my heart is drawn to you. And Lord, I put my trust in you. 
And not only will I put my trust, but I'm going to be a messenger of this good news. I'm going to declare your works. How wonderful. He moved past the pain to a place of being uh, productive for the kingdom of God. And I'd like to just end with this kind of a summary. There's five conclusions that Asaph uh, understood through this process in Psalm 73. First, that God is the center of all things all the time. Two, God's truth goes well beyond our natural senses. Three, God takes all sin seriously and will either judge it or atone for it. Four, current injustices pale in comparison when we connect it to eternity. And then lastly, five, God was completely trustworthy, and thus there is the value of our trusting in him. These are the conclusions that Asaph came with. And I'd like to leave you with just this point. Charles Wesley, who was that great Wesleyan, uh, sorry, the great Methodist hymn writer, at the age of 81, while on his deathbed, had eternity on his mind, and he composed actually his last hymn, and he did it by dictating it to his wife, who wrote it down, and this became Charles Wesley's final testimony. And here's what he had written down. In age and feebleness extreme, what shall a sinful worm redeem? Jesus, my only hope thou art, strength of my failing flesh and heart. Oh, could I catch a smile from thee and drop into eternity. What a powerful, powerful last will and testament. And my friends, I want to say to you, as I feel this being spoken in my own heart, let's take this same position. Jesus, you are our only hope. You're the strength of our flesh and our heart. If we could just catch a smile from you today, we'll be ready and can face today and move toward eternity. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, my friends, and give you peace.